If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And um, while you're getting an outline, I want us to look at this, um, what we call the Beatitudes. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, I'm asking that you'd help me to share this message this evening, and um, please help me to exposit, to explain, to clarify, and um, we just invite you, Lord, to help enable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, several years ago, I remember uh, listening to Focus on the Family when Dr. Dobson was still at the helm of that particular radio program that he had that came on a, on a daily basis. Focus on the Family. And, and he was interviewing a couple and the couple's daughter was there as well. And this man, as the story unfolded, um, had for years manipulated and abused his wife. Had manipulated and abused his wife. He had, in fact, he had hit her so hard that he had knocked out a couple of teeth. And on more than one occasion, he had made her face look like a pulpy, bloody mess. You say that happens all the time these days. But here is the rest of the story. This man was a minister. This man was a minister. He knew the Bible backwards and forwards. He had been educated. He had been trained and professed Jesus Christ as his Savior. And when asked how he could justify such abusive behavior toward his wife, he, he basically uh, lied to himself, he said, and he, he replied uh, basically how he could live with himself. And this is how he replied. While I was sermon preparing on Saturday nights, I just would ask God to forgive me and forgive me my sins, and then I would preach the next morning. He was quoted as saying on Focus on the Family. He went on, you see, I had these intense feelings of anger, and no one taught me how to deal with them. Under the feelings of anger, I felt uh, no remorse. I, just, I felt no pity. I just wanted to control and manipulate my wife, and I did not know why. Now, some of us, uh, when we hear that kind of thing, we think that's weird because we can't relate to that. That is so foreign to us. We can't imagine that happening uh, in, in those situations. But other us, others of us perhaps know of those particular situations that have happened over the years. But these things do happen, and they do happen to individuals. They happen to ministers, and they happen to lay people alike. And um, the church's response often to such feelings and problems have been to ignore these particular things that happen in individuals' lives or, or to tell them that they need to exercise more spiritual disciplines or they need to get with the program or, or, or whatever it may be. Now, 
a short while after Jesus Christ begun his public worship and his and his and his public ministry on the hillside on the hillside of the northern slope of the sea of Galilee he sat down and he began to teach and he, no doubt those people that were gathered there were young and 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 old and uh, there were Pharisees and there were Sadducees and there were um, people of all kinds of different backgrounds. You might want to say poor people, middle class people. He had a large gathering of people that were following him. And no doubt there was a large people that came out where he was at on the hillside of the Sea of Galilee when he began to teach on what we call um, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And in this particular message, it starts off in Matthew chapter 5, and, and, uh, and, and the whole theme on the Sermon of the Mount basically is this. If you could summarize a particular theme is things can be different. Things can be different. People can live transformed lives. Uh, they can live differently. And he says, we were chosen, we're blessed, we're, we're, we're in, other, in other words, we're given, in other words, we're designed and destined to be different and to make, uh, to make a difference. Over and over again, as you go through Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount, we will hear the words, you, you are salt, you're light, uh, you're to be holy, you're to be set apart, you're to be, you're to be righteous. You're to be different. You're, you're to be changed. And the question inevitably comes, how? What is the process that God takes a person through to change them? And he, he begins to focus on the very first part of the Sermon on the Mount on the inside. The first three or four Beatitudes have to do with the inside, the, the soul. And then the other Beatitudes have to do with relationships with other people in verses 7 through 12. Now last week we focused on the first one and I want to review a little bit. And then we're going to look at the second one this particular evening. Now... The question is this, can a leper change their spots? This is a question that Jeremiah asked in the Old Testament. Can a leper change its spots? And to what degree can a person be transformed and to what degree can a person change? Now, we believe that a person can experience salvation. They can be born again. They can be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And we believe that a person, when they give themselves completely to God, that they can be spirit-filled and they can experience a measure of victorious Christian living in their lives. We believe that. We, we teach that. We emphasize that. And it seems as though Jesus... It doesn't seem... Um, Jesus knew very well that real change is possible... If you're willing to start, hey Dan, if you're willing to start from the inside out. If you're willing to start from the inside out. Um, and there's a perfect illustration of this. I remember as a young person cutting open a golf ball. Anybody ever cut open a golf ball? Okay, some of you raise your hand. I was curious. And I cut open the golf ball and I... Uh, took off the white cover. They had a white cover. And then the next thing was a tightly wound uh, string in the side of this golf ball. So I unwound the string. And at the very core of the golf ball was a black ball that was the size of a quarter. Am I the only strange guy that's ever done that? Has anybody else? Okay, Greg's done it. I see a couple other people. 
And I got down to the very core of that golf ball, and there was a black ball, a very black ball. And, uh, and I won, unwound the string, and I got to the very uh, center of that particular golf ball. To make a golf ball, to make a golf ball, and to make it fly right, you have to start in the very center. You have to start in the very core. And that's why Jesus talked about the heart. The heart of the matter is always the heart. And we've been saying that through this particular series on David. David had a surrendered heart. The very core, the very center of that little rubber ball makes the golf ball fly right. And then you wind up the string and you and around, tightly around the ball. And finally you put the, put the case on the right, right around the whole thing. And um, But missing, missing putting the core back into that golf ball. And when you hit that golf ball, it will collapse. It will collapse. It won't fly right. And Jesus challenged people that want to fly right, so to speak, by having them examine the very core of their being. Did you know that the soul is very big? The soul is very big. And he wanted people to examine the very core of their being. And he said in Matthew 5, 3, reviewing from last week, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And remember, we said in the Beatitudes, it seemed like a bunch of contradictions. Jesus made a statement, and they seemed to contradict one another. Poor in spirit. Remember, well, what is Jesus talking about? Is he, is he saying that if, you, if, you're, if you're poor in spirit, that means that you're broke, you, you don't have any food in the house. In other words, you're materially and financially poor, then you'll be blessed. No, it has absolutely nothing to do with the amount of money and with the amount of uh, uh, food we have on the table, it has nothing to do with the, the size of the house that we live in, uh, the amount of money we have in our bank. Being poor in spirit means, simply put, having a proper view of yourself and a proper view of God. It's a recognition, simply put, that we're sinners. We're absolutely sinners. And apart from God's grace and apart from tender, God's tender mercies, spiritually speaking, we are absolutely bankrupt. It's, it's the cry of the prophet Isaiah when he said, Woe unto me because I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's the cry of the man praying next to the publican. Praying next to the publican when he said, God, be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. It's a recognition that apart from God, we don't have one iota of spiritual uh, understanding in, in, in our, in, inside of our soul. You see, the poor spirit realize that we, again, are absolutely bankrupt without God. The, and we realize that no matter what we conjure up or no matter what pleasures we seek or what relationships that we're involved in, these, uh, these things in and of themselves will not bring ultimate pleasure. And we use the example of Solomon back in Ecclesiastes, where he pretends like he's a professor, and he's, he's examining all these things, money, food, shelter, clothing, women, wine. He dined on gold plates. He had it all. And he said, oh, it's just, after, it's just like chasing after the wind. They don't bring lasting happiness, these particular things. And those of us who experience salvation and fullness in the Lord, we, we understand that. We, we know that. And... And we, but we need to be reminded of that on a regular basis. We, we have an absolute need to know that God loves us unconditionally, an absolute need to trust 
someone. And so many people are looking for love, as a country song says, in all the wrong places. Um, I, I remember uh, years ago at a pastor and spouse's retreat at Hume Lake in California, which is the, the King's National Forest. How many of you ever been to King's National Forest, ever been to Hume Lake? A couple of us here. It's a beautiful place. It's gorgeous. You go down and there's there's a granite uh, mountains around and and you wind wind your way down this windy road and you finally get down the valley and they've got a beautiful lodge there and they've it's had Christian camping for a number of years. So we had our pastors and spouses retreat. Well, in the afternoon they didn't have any plan, thing planned and they gave us a bunch of free time and all the guys said, "Hey, you got to go on the pamper pole." I said, "What, what are you talking about?" They said, "You got to go on the pamper pole." What's a pamper pole? They said, you got to find out what the pamper bowl is. you got to do it yourself. So I went out there, and there was a young man there, and um, he said, we'll put this harness on you, and, and uh, there's a rope, and I, I, will, I will catch you when you fall. I said, what are you talking about? He said, what you, what we, what you need to do is, you put this harness around you, you the rope is, is, I've got this rope, it's attached to the end of the harness, and you need to climb this pole. Climb this pole and then jump off the top. I said, what are you talking about? He said, he said, this is what you need to do. And he repeated it like I was a dummy. And I was a dummy for asking him, what, what are you talking about? And so finally someone went before me and I watched him. And so I, I did this. I, I, I got this harness wrapped around me with a, with a rope. And, uh, and I began to climb, free, free climbing, that pole, and it was easy at first because it was like going up a set of stairs. About 25 feet up, however, all of a sudden, the stairs turned into little tiny treads where you had to wrap your arms around the pole and you had to go up one step at a time. Now, if you've ever experienced anything I'm talking about, it's a weird sensation. Even though you know that someone is going to catch you, you're still free climbing and you're, and you're thinking their mind's playing tricks on you and you think, if I take one misstep, I'm going to fall 25 feet to the ground. And so I kept doing it. And the last step is at 50 feet. And it was a one-by-one one platform. You know how one-by-one one is not very big. And so you had to balance yourself on that last step, step up about 18 inches, Lift yourself up and balance, and you're shaking like this, and balance yourself and get up on top of that platform, and then you're supposed to jump, and the guy's going to catch you. I put all my trust into that young man who I did not know, holding the rope, attached to the harness, and I finally got up there. It took everything within me because you're shaking and you've got all this adrenaline going through you and you're nervous and you're perspiring to take that last step and to finally get up there. It took forever. They were saying, you can do it. You can do it. Come on. Come on. You can do it. You can do it. Got up there and then I'm supposed to dive off or jump off. And you're shaking and you're putting your trust into this young man with the rope. And it's called a pamper pole because people say you wet yourself. That's the idea, you know. I mean, you know, behind it. And that's what I found out later. <laughs> what do you call the pamper pole? Well, because you're so afraid you might wet yourself. I don't know. So I, I, I got up there and I, I dove off and I free fell for about 20 feet. And then he caught a hold. He caught a hold. You know what it says? It says, trust God, 
trust the Lord with all of your heart. All of your heart. Not a little bit. It says, with all of your heart, trusting God with everything that you have within your entire being. And this is an idea, this is a word picture of blessed are those of you who are poor in spirit. You have to completely give God everything. It's a casting on the Lord. And I don't know, um, I don't know, um, I cannot put it in details. I cannot explain it in words. I can, I, I can use stories. I can use illustrations. But each of us knows what that means typically if we've experienced that in our life. We come to the place where we cast everything, everything on God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I don't have anything within myself uh, that is that that God can that I can say draws me closer to God. I'm absolutely devoid devoid of of all spiritual understanding until until I give myself completely over to the Lord. And um, well, let's let's go on here here. And Jesus goes on and says in verse 4, look at verse 4 with me. He says, Blessed are those who mourn, who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now remember we said the word blessed is the old English word and it's translated happy. Happy. Isn't that a contradiction? Happy are those who mourn. How can you be happy when you mourn? Happy are those who mourn. Is Jesus saying that we should be happy in the face of unhappiness? When we experience pain and suffering, just smile and go on? No, that's not what he's saying here. The whole context tells us that happiness, God's blessings, will follow, will eventually be reaped if in the face of sorrow and pain, we face it. We deal with it. We go go with it. I think it was... um, Henry Nouwen, the famous Catholic priest, who I believe was evangelical, he's dead now, he said, you lean in to your pain. You lean into your pain. You lean into your sorrow. You lean into your mourning. And, and 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 I believe that what Jesus is saying here is, is this is what we need to do. You see, so you say, well, what are you talking about? Well, so much of the time we want to go away from it. We want to step away from our mourning. We want to step away from our sadness. We want to step away from the loss that we've experienced in our life. But but this is this is not what Jesus is saying. He said, "Blessed are those who mourn, who lean into the pain, who face the pain, who face the trials and difficulties." And then you, he said, look, look, he says, "Then you will be comforted. Then you will be comforted, comforted." Um. So godly change is possible, possible even in the face of pain and sorrow. Um. Only through. By leaning into it. And, and facing it. Uh, 
I understand, and I understood when it happened, but I'm an observer of human nature. And I see it happen at funeral services. Not all the time, but I see it happen sometimes, and, and, and this is an extreme case. But there was this well-meaning lady, a wife, who lost her husband unexpectedly. And um, to put, put it in context, she was married to a man that was a, a serial adulterer. And everybody in the whole community knew this. And, um, and the, this woman who had been violated by adultery, she said, she said this, she said, it's okay. Many of you know my husband was unfaithful most of our marriage, but I stayed with him. But God is faithful. I just need your prayers. Now, you would have had to been there to hear her say this, and you would have to see the nonverbal like I saw it. But, but I don't think she was in, in, in reality. I don't think she was... Uh, um, I don't think she was really facing the fact of, of this pain and this loss and this raw emotion that she was feeling. I think she was just glossing over it. I just need your prayers. Sometimes we make heroes out of people who smile and who sing their way through funerals of loved ones. And, and, and this, this is my response. You know, I, I, again, you would have had to been there. But I felt like I just wanted to shake that woman and say, it's okay to be so angry that you want to spit nails and, 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 and that you can't talk right now. It's okay for you to be, feel uh, violated, that you want to fall into a pile and cry and weep until somebody picks you up. It, it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to admit those honest and raw feelings and emotions. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, mourning does not mean mourning does not mean ignoring the loss. It does not mean ignoring the loss. It does not mean ignoring the pain, or pretending that it will just go away. You see, what people don't realize, those people who don't grieve and mourn, what I call by leaning into it and by facing it, and, and those people that just want to run away from it, they don't realize that it will eventually get to them. The very thing that they don't want to happen, the very thing that they don't want to, the pain that they don't want to go through, will eventually come around later. Does that make sense? Eventually you're going to go through a mourning period. Eventually you're going to go through a depressing period. Eventually you're going to do it. And it's better to do it at the front and lean into it than to avoid it altogether and pretend it's just going to go away. In contrast, mourning does, not, does mean acknowledging. It does mean acknowledging the loss. It does mean acknowledging the loss and embracing it. It does mean acknowledging the loss and embracing it. So, here are some steps uh, that I, 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 I'd like to recommend number one give yourself permission to cry and weep give yourself permission to cry and weep and to feel sad 
Where in the world does it say in the Bible that you can't feel sad and you can't feel like you can't grieve and you can't feel mourn? Now, most of you ladies know what I'm talking about because you like to cry and weep because you're emotional creatures. But I'm really speaking to men primarily who often have been taught since childhood that we're to be like John Wayne in Hondo. He walks out of the desert. He comes with the thing on his back and he walks out of the desert and he comes into a particular situation and he doesn't share any emotion, any type of feeling whatsoever he's the marble man and he's going to arrive on the scene and he's going to rescue everybody you know what i'm trying to say give yourself permission to cry and weep and to feel sad as long as david's son remember that little baby was alive and sickly he he lived in this reality and he wept and he prayed And he fasted and he felt those raw emotions because his little baby was about ready to die. He was hoping it wouldn't, but he was on death's door, at death's door. Number two, verbalize your feelings of anger and frustration. You say, Pastor Ron, isn't it a sin to be angry? No, the Bible says it's not a sin to be angry. It is a sin to... It depends on what you do with your anger. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. You verbalize your feelings of anger and frustration. While Job, remember the story of Job, while Job never swore at the Lord, and while he never turned his back on the Lord, his tone and questions were wrapped in raw feelings of anger and disappointment. His, I'll say it again. His tone and questions were wrapped in raw feelings of anger and disappointment. My pastor friend, he was one of my good pastor friends. He was a good friend, and I love that guy. He was well used of the Lord in the Central California district. He pastored a church in Ceres, and and he had been there um, 14, 15 years. You know, they had good church growth. They won the number of people to the Lord, and he was a humble man. He was a good preacher, good pastor. He was a few years older than I was. And we would get together. Um, I was uh, about a, an hour away. We would get together and we'd have lunch together and we would share and breakfast together. And uh, Whenever my son played uh, high school, when he's playing high school sports, whenever they played series, which was one of the teams in the league, Mike pastored the series Nazarene Church and he would come to the football games and and uh, he would come to the basketball games. He was just that kind of friend. He was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I've had two pastor friends die of brain tumors. And he was one of them. And his wife said that we went on vacation. And Mike was walking down a sidewalk. And I noticed that as he was walking down the sidewalk, he would always veer to the right. And I thought that was oddish. He's, he's walking down the sidewalk and he's veering to the right. And so to make a long story short, they took him in and they got the brain scan and he had massive, massive uh, brain tumor cancerous. And they did uh, the, the surgery and they gave him X amount of time to live. I visited him a couple of times during that period of time. I said, Mike, just level with me. Tell me. What, what are you feeling? And he kind of hemmed, hawed around, and 
He said, well, you know, I've been journaling. <laughs> he said, um, but i got to tell you, I never knew I'd feel this way, but I feel really angry. He goes, I, I know I'm going to go to heaven, and I have the hope of eternal life, but I'm really, really angry, and I'm really upset. I said, I said, you know, I, I think those are normal feelings. I think those are normal emotions. I, I think it's normal. He said, yeah, I, I'm really angry. And you know what he said? He said, I'm angry because I feel like I have so much left to do. My older do- my oldest daughter is going to get married. I want to see my grandkids. I feel like I've got so much left to do, and I'm really, really angry, and I'm upset. In reality, when you experience a major loss, you most likely will feel angry. Anger. And so verbalize those feelings of anger and frustration. Again, while Job never swore at God and never turned his back on him, his tone and questions were wrapped in raw feelings of anger and disappointment. And number three, let mourning run its course. Let mourning run its course. And you say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? Well, the greater the loss, the greater the mourning. Did you hear what I said? The greater the loss, the greater the mourning. If I go out and if I wreck my car, I'm going to have a little bit of mourning, especially if it's a brand new one. But that's a lot different than when I lose a grandchild to death. That's a lot different than when I lose my spouse of 50 years to death. The greater the loss, the greater the mourning. Does that make sense? So you let mourning run its course. And some people want to bypass the morning and they want to say, well, cry, weep, and then get over it. And yet we know that mourning sometimes takes a long time. The greater the loss, the greater the mourning. You say, Pastor Ron, can mourning ever turn to moaning? Absolutely. And I'm not God and I don't know when that happens. But there are times that mourning can turn to moaning where the person goes beyond what they should and and all of a sudden it goes it, you know it just goes from morning to moaning i don't know when that happens and i'm just trying to say that you you've got to give yourself an ample opportunity the greater the loss the greater the grieving in the morning now it is true that the older you are the older you are the more history you have with the lord and the more you have um, losses in your life, it is true that you can come to the place, I think, that that perhaps you won't mourn as long as you did when you were younger. That may not be true for some people, but I think it's true for some people because they just realize life goes on and what else can you do? You cry, you weep, you moan, I mean, you, you mourn. Number four, remind yourself and remind others. Remind yourself, remind others with with gentleness. The word is gentleness. With gentleness and with sensitivity about the eternal perspective. With gentleness and with sensitivity about the eternal perspective. You say, what are you talking about? You want to remind them that God does love them. You say, isn't that a given, Pastor Ron? Well, when you're going through it and when you lose a loved one, you need to be reminded of that. What did I talk about this morning? Satan is the accuser of the brother. 
and he will tell you God does not love you. And so when you're helping a person go through mourning, you need, you need in a sensitive, loving way, God does love you. God does care for you. He will make something, you may not look, you may not be able to see it now, but he will make something good out of bad. And that's the promise of God. 